Tom did a great message last week. He really did. There's something he said that really caught me. And, and, and the word he said was, I had that, and he talked about the process of crisis. And I didn't forget his message, but I forgot that particular phrase. The process of crisis, and I, I really like that phrase. Uh, uh, because I'm trying to, to understand uh, more, and I try to explain to people what they're going through. Now, most of us, when we, we, we signed up for Christ, <laughs> we kind of signed up like that, like that guy walked out on the corner, really not knowing what they signed up for, and just maybe because it was a good thing to do, or you felt a little feeling, or somebody told you things were going to get really great in your life if you accepted Christ. Which is true. Things become great, but they didn't come great in quite the way we really expected. I would consider it almost a half-truth, <laughs> that statement that everything is going to be good. Because when we got saved, all of our worries didn't go away, did they? There were things that came up in our life and pressures that came up. And as infants in the Lord, we didn't really understand why. We didn't understand what we're going through in the seasons and the time and the seasons what we're in. And so I want to kind of give something that, that the Lord kind of off of what Tom spoke about uh, gave me that maybe help with the process of understanding where you're at, what you're going through, and maybe what you're going to go through in the future. You know, it kind of reminds me of when, when, when not when this little one, my youngest, was a child, because when she was a child, uh, we had computers in the car to drive places. But when my oldest ones, we didn't have computers, and we didn't have DVDs, and we didn't have any of that stuff. So you went on a long trip. What you heard all the time as a parent is, when are we going to get there? How far? How much longer? Over and over and over again. And I got a little process that I found out real helpful. We had a rearview mirror, and I go, "Hun, this is the beginning, and this is the end of the trip. Now we're about here. And so as I would talk to my kids, I would go, we're... They'd ask at this point on the, on, the, on, the, on the mirror, and it shows the process where we are at on getting to the destination we're going. So my hope is to do that now. Um, the first thing that God kind of hit me on this thing uh, was he just kind of reminded me of the first miracle that he ever did. Let's pull the first slide up, and this is uh, John 2, 11, 1 through 11. You got that up there? Take a second. Okay. Nope. That's Samuel. First slide. Got the first slide up there? No, there it is. No. John, uh, John 2, 1 through 11. John. I think it is. Isn't it John? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Good. Sorry. I probably said it wrong. John 2, 1 through 11. It's on, put, put the switch on. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. 
So they did, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. Okay, I don't know about you, but I've always wondered about that. Why would God turn water into wine as his first miracle? And especially since there's a lot of controversy, unfortunately, in the church about drinking. Uh, I, I, have no, I don't drink personally. I have no problem with drinking. Uh, if you aren't getting drunk, it's the scriptures are filled with scriptures that talk about wine. And there's no way you can twist that, that it wasn't the type that gets you intoxicated. I mean, I could show you all kinds of them, but that's not the, the, not the message this morning. But this thing, why water into wine? What was the process of this? And if you really think about it, it's a really a strange process. Because it says what? They took six stone jars used for ceremony cleaning your hands. Now, that meant that they stuck their hands and took the water and cleaned their hands. And it was for washing. And that's so they could be clean enough to do whatever they're going to do. So the idea of taking something that is for washing and using that to make wine in is quite a a push. Uh, Matter of fact, as the scriptures say here, they didn't know where it came from. Because if they knew where it came from, they wouldn't have liked it or taken that wine. Because it would have been something that was unclean. So... Here you have six of these, which is, we know, being prophetic groups, six is the number of men. And so it's talking about that. Here we have. It's talking several different things here. It's talking about two covenants. It's talking about the covenant, the old covenant and the new covenant. The one is better than the other. The latter is better than the first one. It's talking about cleansing. It's talking about the process of the Gentiles, too. You know, uh, something that's unclean to be made clean. It's talking about a lot of different things, but it's talking, when he uses it, it's talking about wine and being made into wine. And this wine he made as the first miracle, I believe is a really a hint for God wants to speak to us about today. Through the scriptures, wine and the vine is a very prominent theme. Matter of fact, go to John 15, 1 through 9. That's the next slide. As a matter of fact, before that, too, I want to say in Luke 22, it talks about, you know, the communion. Take this in remembrance of me. Wine is a big point of view. So let's look at why God uses wine, why he uses the vine to illustrate so much in the scriptures. Go ahead with that now. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that they will be even more fruitful. If you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, oh, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Okay. Now this probably scripture in itself is probably one of the most complete scriptures that gives us the whole picture, if you really think about it. Because what does he start off with? I am the true vine. Okay. There's all kinds of other false things. But I'm the true vine. And he, he says that not only I'm the vine, he says the Father is the caretaker. And he says the branches are you. And he says the branches that don't bear fruit are cut off and thrown away. And even the branches that do bear fruit are going to be pruned back. So they'll bear more fruit. This is the process that we go through in life as a Christian. This is the basic process. If you bear no fruit, what is fruit? Well, it's good works based upon good character, if I could say that. Uh, uh, very often we think of fruit as the works, you know, like, like, uh, like ministry type of works. But I, I, I really, the fruit itself is really the character of what you do. You know, God gives the gifts. The character is something that's really grown. It really takes some time. And I'll show you that through the process of this. But it, it talks about those that don't bite in them are cut off. It talks about that you have to be central centrality of Christ. You have to be tied into him, have to stay in him to be able to bear fruit. It teaches you really the whole New Testament in one thing. But if we break it down, we'll see a few more things. And that's what we plan on doing. I'm going to take some time and go through. Matter of fact, if you're going to name this Sunday, it would be Winemaking 101. And that's where we're going to start off with right now. Now, I'll tell you my little bit of background. I was born in California and raised in the San Joaquin Valley. In the San Joaquin Valley, it is a, where they grow everything. And I grew up with the vineyards. They were everywhere. I ran through them every single day of my life as a child. I'm very familiar with the vineyard. I worked in them as a child, too. And it's an interesting process. I'm not a farmer. I wasn't a farmer, nor my parents, but they had a lot to do with agriculture. In agriculture, and even with you, most of us have had a garden at home, right? All you guys have? And you plant something, something, you're really excited when it comes up. What's the first thing you notice when it comes up? You have to do what? Really take care of it, don't you? Because it's very, very weak. And that's what happens, too, in salvation. When you first get saved, you know, we're pretty fragile beings. We're the new things, that new leaf that comes out, that new growth that came out there. And it can be destroyed fairly easy. Well... In a vineyard, it's the same thing. And one thing about vineyards is, is that there's a lot more than meets the eye that has to take place to be able to have them grow properly. You know, in, uh, in winemaking, the best fruit is used for wine. I, always, I didn't really know that. The more ordinary fruit is used for table, table fruit. So let's get into how does somebody actually grow a vineyard. Uh, so when they first started out, it's very, very dependent. And I think you can realize that when you first got saved, that God was always there. You prayed for something, it was answered like that, wasn't it? You remember that? Then you notice that? And uh, it was so neat, because anything you'd ask, anything your heart desires, just like that little baby there, it cries, it gets fed. Cries again, gets a diaper change. Same thing. Worked with us, works with the baby, works with the tending of a new plant. But as time goes along, that doesn't go the same way. As time goes along, as a parent, the parent tries to do is teach the kid from being totally dependent on you to be totally independent and dependent upon God. And in raising an orchard, you want something that, uh, a plant that's, uh, a vine that's going to actually last through all seasons. 
That means there's going to be summer and there's going to be winter, and it's going to be fairly strong to be able to survive. And that's how the gardener takes out and takes care of it. I didn't know this, but one thing about a vineyard and a grapevine, it has the deepest roots, a very deep root system. And matter of fact, on, on a vineyard, they aren't watered every day or every third day. They're watered every two to three weeks, and they're deep watered. So the water goes way down and develops a deep root. Well, isn't that what happens with us? After that initial time when we first are the honeymoon time of getting saved, you know, we move on to that thing, and all of a sudden, God's not here anymore. He's not answering my prayers. And the very first thing that usually happens, then we begin to look at ourselves, oh my gosh, I'm in sin. And you probably were. Well, you were. We all are. But that's not what it was about. What it was about was getting you to become a mature vine that produces fruit. And for a mature vine to produce fruit, it's got to have the deep watering roots. And so it's going to have a ton of water at first, and then it's going to rest, and it's going to get strong like that. And a ton of water more later on, and then it's going to rest. And so there goes through a time, a period as a, a Christian, where you're going to find God's presence, that mountaintop experience, the great things. And then there's all kinds of times that you don't really feel him that much. You could think of, in a sense, that the water would be like the Holy Spirit. So he just saturates you with the Holy Spirit for one time. It's a prophetic vision of water as, as the Holy Spirit, obviously. And it has to remain in you for you to survive. And there's times that afterwards that it's gonna, the water's gonna be low again and then gonna need a little bit more water. But you're gonna find that because God wants to develop a deep root system in you that you will not be destroyed by the heat. Because there will be heat. So. The next thing, and we get along with that, sooner or later we usually go, oh, God doesn't love me, oh, God, I'm in sin. But sooner or later we kind of get, okay, it's a season. Somewhere along the way somebody will say it comes like rolls of waves, you know, and sets, you know. You get bigger, 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 and then go down, bigger, 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 you know, and there's some breaks when there's no waves. And it's true, it's something like that as well. But then the next thing that happens, and this is one, because we lose some people at the first. Some of the plants don't make it. And some people quit, you know, and that's kind of like the uh, when you read in the scriptures where it talks about the, the seed that was sown, some on a path, some on the rocks, some on different things. And the ones that had deep roots when the scorching sun came survived the ones that didn't. That would be a good reference scripturally to that. But the next little step is a step that people really, 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 really don't like. One of many steps that you won't really, really, really like. You know, the scripture says it comes at a cost. And we actually don't believe that. Because I think if we really believed that we would have said no. It's kind of like the matrix. Nah, I never take that pill. I'm taking the other one. But you took this pill. And it's a no-turn-back pill. You have one way or another. You're either going to be thrown away at the end, or you're going to be with him. The next part is the trellis. You know what a trellis is? It's where they tie the vines to. It's It's... A necessary part of farming because it has two particular purposes. One purpose is, is when the, the grapes grow on there, they get heavy. And the branches are going to break if they aren't trellised. They can't hold the bunches of grapes. The other thing is, is the ability for when the caretaker walks through to there 
that they can walk through the aisles. If it was all grown every different way, you couldn't. Now, as I was a kid, I used to work in the, as a matter of fact, my first job was in a, in a vineyard at about seven years old, taking the smallest leaves off of uh, grape leaves, rolling them up with rice and meeting them and eat them. They're great. That's Armenians eat them, a lot of different people, a lot of different Middle East groups. But the trellis is a very thing, and I used to have to tie vines. Now, when you tie vines, it's not in the summer, it's in the winter, and it's very cold. And so, pictured in the, in the morning, we, we'd get out there, I mean, sun would usually just be coming up right at the time, and they're freezing out there, your hands are cold, and they're wet, and you're tying these vines. And you have to take these branches and put them around this a wire, trellis, and tie them up there. And every once in a while, come on, I'll come up, it'll smack you in the face, and it really hurts. Let me tell you, when it's cold in the morning and that smacks you in the face, it really hurts. Next time I'll do it that way. <laughs> and, and it does that. And if it's a really a stubborn one, you also have on your back a, a, a printing shirt and you cut that one off. Because the ones that grow out and will not be restrained and bent on over to go with the rest of them are cut off because they're useless. You can't have them go to the middle. Now, this ought to hit something to you, because very few people like to be restrained. Try restraining a little baby. When they get older, they are allowed to be restrained if they grow up properly. But a lot of us, we lose a lot of Christians along the way, because they don't want to be restrained. They don't like that process. They want the freedom. They forget the part that says that they die, and now Christ lives within them, and the part that says, I'm a bondservant, and all that. And they go on to the thing, because I want to be free. I want to do what I want. I want to go where I want, do what I want, when I want. What happens is just like it talked about in that earlier scripture I mentioned, gets pruned off and thrown in a fire. And that's what people are in danger of if they will not come into conformity with what God is doing. See, God has a plan for you, and it's for your good. As I mentioned to you, if a branch is not trellised, it cannot hold the weight of the fruit, and it will break off anyway. It will be a waste of the vine's effort as well as everything else. So we tied those vines and put them up there, and they would go there. And it would be, be not a fun thing to do. And, and, and you look in the scriptures, go to the next one, First Samuel 3.13. Go back. No. For, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Look at that. Made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. This is what parents very often do. This is what pastors have to do. I can't tell you how many times I've been slapped in the face while I try to restrain different people in the Lord because God's called me to do that, to help them grow up, to become who they could be or should be or called to be. They don't like it. But I don't want Eli's sin. I remember John Wimber great, great man of God, and one of the prophetic guys came and says, you've got Eli's sin because you've, you have failed to raise your children up the way you should. 
He wasn't talking about his own kids. I probably was talking about both, actually. He's talking about the church. Because they failed to restrain them. Failed to bring them to the place where they could grow and produce properly. The way the gardener or the tender God himself wants it to do. The next one. This is what the Lord says about the people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now uh, now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. So it's saying in here that if we don't allow ourselves to be bent and changed and come into conformity with what God wants us to do, conformity, a word that this, this society doesn't like, that's opposite from the kingdom of God, if it doesn't come in there, into that conformity, then he'll remember their wickedness and punish them for it. This is not what we want. The world, as we know it here, doesn't like conformity because of the wrong use of it. The wrong use you'll find in churches all the time, where it's a top-down model, it's a, it's, it's model, a Babylonian model, that one on top has all the authority, and you, you have to be squelched under the feet. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is leaders come under people and help them. But they have to come under and help them and speak to them about the different things that are binding them from keeping them from becoming who they're called to be. Now, another thing, there's some were bound. Uh, matter of fact, hopefully we don't have to come to this. I guess maybe we will. Maybe not. Peter, I'll read John. Uh, uh, on, I don't have that one out there. John 12, 21, 17, 17 through 19 says this. You know that I love you, Jesus said. This, he's talking to Peter right now. And Peter's, uh, Peter's replying. He says, you know I love you, Jesus. And he says, feed my sheep. I'll tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted to. But when you're older, you'll be stretched out your hand, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do want to go. And he was doing this. He was talking about his death. But this is something that's before us, too. I remember when I was a young Christian, God said that to me. He says, Rest, have a good time, enjoy me, because there's a becoming a day you're going to be doing stuff you don't want to do. There's a becoming a day that you're going to have to do the things that I called you to do that aren't particularly pleasurable, and you have a lot of other things that you'd rather do. Go play golf, go diving, go all kinds of stuff like that. A lot of different things, but you're going to have to do what I called you to do, so enjoy yourself. It's kind of that, it's like that scripture that says, He leads me to green pastures. Makes me lay down and rest, that scripture. And then he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, because he does both. And if you remember when Jesus, you know, when he was uh, baptized, he came out of the water by John the Baptist. It says, this is my dear son who I'm well pleased. And then it says the Holy the Spirit immediately took him to the desert to be tested. Immediately. Did took him where he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go for that testing. He was in the joyous, fun, I love, and I have a good time with the Father time. But that's all part of it. It has to be. If your spiritual life is flatlined, then you're dead. If you don't have the times where you're getting a little whipping, remember whipping is is the process of change. It's making it like him. It's not punishment in a New Testament understanding. But if you're in the time where it's always just sweet, You've missed it. Or you're a baby. One of the two. Hope you're a baby. 
Because you don't want to stay there. You want to be what God wants you to be. You know, somewhere along the way you said to God, whatever you want, I want to be. Remember that prayer? That's one of those pills that you took you can't take back. When you pray one of those prayers to God, he takes you seriously. and You're going to go down a certain road. Some will die out. Some will be trimmed off. Some will not make that process as they go along. Now, Peter was martyred. Paul was end up martyred. Uh, John the Baptist obviously was martyred, and Jesus was martyred. martyred. All were martyred. They're all bound, by the way. They're bound up and uh, martyred. All are binding for us for the purpose of the king, plain and simple. We were designed for the purpose of the king. We have to come with that understanding in our heart. Life is not about us. It's about him and his kingdom. If you can't have that, then you don't get God. And if you don't have that, don't beat yourself up. Just ask God for it. Because he will give that to you. I mean, there's so many things that I can think of in, in my life that I, that, that I knew was true and I didn't want it. And I just said it to God. I know this is true and I know it's right and I'll accept that, but I don't really want it change my heart. That's a good prayer. Pray it. As, as long as you're willing to uh, be changed. Now, something else about it. Uh, uh, have you ever seen vines real closely? Uh, a, a vineyard? If you ever noticed, they're usually big, hunky things with small sticks coming off them. It's because they're pruned. They prune them really harshly. They prune everything off. But there's no resemblance of anything growth there. They cut it all the way back. You do that with roses too, a little bit more familiar with. You cut it all the way back to a stick for the purposes of God. And he said that in the earlier scripture, the, 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 uh, the John 15 one, that he, you know, there prunes things. And it does. It prunes it rather severely. He does this when we're kind of dormant and we usually feel like we did something wrong. No. It's not because you did something wrong. It's because God is taking care of you because he has a plan for your life, a fruit that he wants you to produce. And this fruit will only be produced if you allow him to do the work. One of the things that you'll notice in this thing is you have no control over this process. A vine has no control over it. He does what the gardener does with him or the tender does with him. And that's the thing with this. So you're going to get pruned. That prune really hurts. It really, really hurts. But it's for a purpose that you can't see right now. When there's no fruit, when it's dormant, when nothing's going on, there's no fruit, you don't see the reason for the pruning. Just as like when the vine is tied, you don't see the reason for the kind being tied. You just have to trust that the gardener knows what he's doing, the tender of it. If you hired somebody to do it, a vineyard, you just have to trust that guy knows what he's doing. Because it doesn't look right when he does it. Now, the next thing that comes up that, that, uh, let me see, that, uh, when you have a, especially a young vine, it's called overcropping. And what that means is you got fruit. There's not time for fruit. Because the first few years of a vine, you don't want fruit on it. Because it taps too much of the strength of the vine out of it. So guess what? They tear it all off and throw it away. That's right. You ever had that happen? He doesn't value my gift. I'm not appreciated. 
I'm going to go to another church where I'm appreciated. What they're doing, and it may be the reason you're here, or maybe it's the reason you're not here. <laughs> Somebody may have done that. Somebody that knows what he's doing, that listens to God, and does it. And with people, it's not fun doing that kind of stuff, taking their fruit and saying, excuse me, we, aren't, we don't need your fruit today. We don't need your gifts that you do. I want to use my gifts. I'll run off to another church. Musicians are famous. Where I'll run off to another church where I can play. So use my gifts. You know, I mean, oh, i got to be used. i got to be used. You know, and pastors, there are people that are young. To be pastors, do the same thing. i got to go to another church. Somebody will use me. I'm going to be used somewhere. Yeah, you'll be used somewhere. And you'll never become the vine that God called you to be. So what he does is strip it off. And matter of fact, as a, as a vine grows, it's absolutely necessary for that. Let's go to First Timothy. And First Timothy is really the scriptures for a leader. So, uh, three six. He must not. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them, be, let them serve as deacons. Several things. Tested? What do you think that means? John Wimber used to say something. I don't trust anybody who doesn't walk with a limp. And he was talking really, he was referring to like Jacob. Wrestled with the angel of the Lord. and said, I'm not like going to you to bless me. Touch this thigh. Walk with a limp there on out. Test it. You also see in here, uh, not a recent convert, not a young vine. Why? Because he'd become conceited, fall under uh, judgment as the devil. That's what happened to him. Those are the things. That's why we wait. That's why we take the fruit of young Christians and say, not now. It's not because we don't want it. It's not now. It's not time for now. Take the time. Just as the Lord told me, rest now, because one day you're going to do stuff you don't want to do. You're going to endure pain you don't want to endure. You're going to take a spiritual warfare that people can't see, that will be pressures upon you that you cannot understand and hardly bear if you don't rest when God says to rest and work when he tells you to work. So this is the process that goes along. First uh, Timothy 5.22 says... Don't be too quick to lay hands on anyone and don't share in the sins of others. And that's, I'm going to comment on the sins of others first. A lot of people says, well, he does that so I can. I remember doing that with Wimber. I saw a particular sin in his life and I said, well, he does it so I can. And God said to me real clearly, you're going to get a double blessing of sin. You like it? <laughs> no, I don't want a double blessing of sin. <laughs> I got his in mind too. That's what double blessing is. Your, your anointing in someone else's. And in, in the negative, it's your sin in someone else's. No, I don't want a double blessing that. So don't imitate that. Uh, too quickly on hands. Again, it's the fruit. It's the young person. It's the person that's going through. So maturity and, a, and uh, uh, of three years or older in a vine. All they let you have is 16 to 24 clusters. They cut off everything else any more than that because they don't want the, uh, the overcropping. And a mature one, it's 40 to 60 clusters. Any more than that, the other fruit won't be good. 
It's a process. So you've got a lot of different things that people aren't seeing in you, even if you've been around a little bit longer. Understand that it's a process for, so the fruit, the primary fruit, the good fruit, will grow to be its proper size with the cro- proper sugar levels in it to do become what you're called to be. So that not feeling valued, uh, not appreciated, not taken seriously, not thanked properly, uh, treat me like a baby, uh, I'm going to take my marbles and go someplace else. You have that feeling, it's because you're immature, you're a baby. And that's the reason they aren't allowing you to do the things that you want to do and you'd like to do because you're not ready for that. Now you've made it, you've got to a maturity thing. It's time for the harvest. Now, let me tell you, a harvest is to cut the fruit off that you have. And and this part we're going to end on today because I don't have the time, but um, read 2 Timothy 2.21. No, it's time. Okay. Those who make for themselves clean from all those evil things will be used for special purposes because they are dedicated and useful to their master, ready to be used for every good deed. This process is here is a choice that comes. You know, every single step along this way, when you first have fruit, people think I've arrived and I'm mature and I'm ready to be used. And and, and when they're trellised, they think, why are you keeping me, binding me from doing what I want to do. All of them get mad in those things. And it's a test. It's the testing that that other scripture mentioned about. They always think that they've arrived and grown and think we're, we're there. And the older I get, the more I know I don't have what it takes to do it. You know, it's just God. And it's being at the season and time that he's doing. But here's the, the middle line. In, 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 in with vineyards, it's this. The best grapes are used for winemaking. The ordinary is used for table grapes. You'll come to a place, if you haven't come there already, that you'll have to, I don't know, make that choice, or God has made it for you. I honestly don't know. But there'll be a place... Where are you going to do this? Where are you? Those who make themselves clean from those evil things will be used for special purposes because they are dedicated and useful to the master. After that particular point, you're going to find out if you want to be made for wine. And that's one of the things that is, uh, with the, with the, with the, uh, um, you know, with communion and everything else is that place is using wine. They don't have to eat grapes. They have wine. This is symbolic of really the call for us. Most of us have that call to become wine. Because we said that famous prayer, God, whatever it takes, do it. Use me any way you can. I want to be used. Not understanding that that means you're going to have things cut off you. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You're going to lose friends because they don't bear fruit. Uh, You're going to lose actions and things you used to do because it does not produce fruit in your life. That you're going to have to give up things that you think you want. You may have to pick to go uh, with this particular person for a mate rather than another one. You may have to pick one other car than the other. 
He may have to uh, pick to live in an area, one area other than another one. Or he may have to pick to go to one church rather than the one you really want to go to. Now, most of us think that means we're going to get the less of each one of those things. But the truth is you get the best. That is the truth. But we believe, because of what we've been seeing in life, we believe that God's going to, as the garden said, if you really want to get what you want, you're going to have to go grab it for yourself. That's the original lie in the Garden of Eden. Same lie it's used on you today. Very powerful then and very powerful now. But the truth is, God wants to give you the very, very best. God has a better plan than you could ever dream of for you. And has you have more potential in you than you could ever possibly dream of. When John Wimber figured out that God was used in a big way, he says, does it really come down to this? Me? He meant it, too. He wasn't kidding. Because really, that's what it comes to. When he takes you apart, you're going to think, well, I'm not going to use me for anything. But he can. He has a higher calling and potential for everyone. I, I can remember several different cars I bought that I decided to be religiously holy and not buy the, the, uh, a particular car. thought that was a godly thing to do, and God showed me that it was nothing but religiosity and a lie. And he actually had something much better for me. And I ended up several, I can remember three cars in particular. I didn't buy, and then he had me buy it later. It was just nothing but a blessing. I had a, a mentality that God's going to give me the least. Now, to become in wine, it's a great calling. It's, it's the high calling. I, most of the time in my life, I wouldn't say this, but I say this right now, I want to be wine. I want to be the fine wine, the best wine that there is. That's what I want to be. That's my desire in life. Didn't always want to be that, and it's all right not to always want to be that. Just own up to that and know it's what you should want and ask Pray in truth, not by your feelings. Pray in truth, and you'll get that. But I'll talk about next week what that really means. But I can tell you, the first thing that happens to wine when it decides to uh, grapes when it decides to be wine. What do you think? Crushed. Yeah, you got it. And it's a real process. That's the call. For the people I believe in go to this church. It's a long, long, long process. I've been Lord for 35 plus years. And I'm so far from it. It's a long process. Some of you are wiser and get there quicker. But I'll tell you something else about growing vines. When they're making them and they grow too fast. They cut the water back and they cut the fertilizer back because they don't want it to grow too fast. They restrain even in that. So it would become, have the character and the strength to bear the fruit it's supposed to. And believe you me, that's the reason God uses this type of scripture, vines, and remaining in him. is because he realizes this is a great example of what has to happen with us and what has to take place. So, Father, I ask again that you would take the things that we've talked about today and that you showed me and, 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 and burn it into the hearts of each and every person here, that they would, they would understand where they are, not think any higher, more highly or lower, 
but just really have a conscious understanding of who they are in you and the season and the day they're in you. And Father, help them realize the potential that is in each and every one of them. The high calling. Many a call, few are chosen. Few make the choice to become all that God's caused them and want them to be. But Father, I ask that you would help them make that choice. I ask you would help them pray with wisdom, not their emotions, uh, by the truth rather than their feelings, that they would truly become divine in season that produces the proper crop. And that's why you use Ephesus, because there's a season for producing grapes and there's a season for being dormant. To know the season is what you cause us to learn to do, is hear your voice, that we would not be early or late, because there's a cursing if we're late, and there's a blessing if we're doing on time. It's not what we do if we do it in your time. It's what it's about. So I thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if anybody wants prayer, I'd like to come forward for anything, especially for this message. There, uh, some of you have uh, yelled and screamed. Wow, that's interesting. Now, you will hear that first scripture next week, because that's on my notes already. <laughs> There's a real, there really is a truth in that. There's a big, strong truth. Remember, David was a man after God's heart. He was, he was uh, and understanding the nature of him and what he did and what he went through and the different trials. You can see these trials all the way through. It's, it, it, it's, it's important to understand. You know, and a lot of people really don't get that, that thing. I mean, uh, dealing with a bear, I mean, that would be, that'd be probably equivalent to taking on 10 gang members with knives. Yeah. No, maybe 15 and doing that. I, I mean, bears and lions are really strong. That's a big. They're tremendous. Grab them by the hair and kill them. Well, hit them with a club. Okay, didn't have a gun, didn't have a knife. Hit them with a club and beat them to death with what was around him. That's, that's an amazing thing. You, you think of the process he went through to do that, you know. And, and that was the baby time of him. Remember, he already had the faith and the belief and the strength and the trusting and knowing God as a kid in doing this. How many would, would not run off and leave? As a matter of fact, as a parent, I would tell him, leave the sheep. Get away from it. Don't. He didn't let him kill any of his sheep. I mean, he understood. Here's a, the concept about him that is so interesting. He understood his responsibility so much that for his own sake, he would not abandon his own well-being for the sake that he had. I mean, that's a man after God's own heart. That's what we have to become. That's when he started. Nevertheless, all the years of tri- trials and tra- testing as he grew up after that, but just back then, I would love to be there, to have that kind of faith. Because it was by faith. He knew. He's like, he says, he says well, who is this Philistine? He's nothing. I've done the, I, I've killed the, the lion, I've killed the bear. This Philistine's nothing. He'll, God will give him in my hands just as well. You guys stand up for a second. Oh, come on, because I have a whole bunch of notes on that. Take a step back. We're going to step off the gate that we're on right now. Step off. Those of you who don't know, this is a gate church. This gate church takes a lot of spiritual warfare. You may have felt it. Uh, remember every week to take a step off, whether I remember not or not, and then take a step on when you do battle. What I'd love you guys to do, if you have some time, 
That building over there, walk around and pray. There's going to be a bunch of people around there because of some race. But if you can do it today, great. Otherwise, another day. But after you do that, just take a step back to it. I'm off this gate. I want freedom. See, John Paul, Don Paul was the previous gatekeeper for here. He got mad at the church, and that's why I think he's not the gatekeeper now. But he was the previous gatekeeper, and he used to do that over there. So that really is of interest to me. We didn't know that when we went. It's actually Tom uh, Grody said something. Said, when I said we we're going to be leaving here, he says, well, have you considered that over there? It's really reasonable. It's a lot less money in this place. Far less. So it would be really great for us. So, huh? Oh, you can't. You, you know when you, you know, okay, ocean here. It's only building. Well, there's, you know where the information thing is? You've seen the information thing that sits out there, that little shack? If you, if you go down ocean, right over here, right across from here, you'll see an information shack and then the building right next to it. It's the only building out there other than the information shack. It's it. You go over there, you look at it, and I'll have real trouble keeping your attention because the whole wall is glass overlooking the ocean. So I'd be up here and you guys all be looking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hi, Gary. <laughs> Come forward to our prayer. Uh, this or anything else. You know, some of you need to do a little repenting. I have. Writing this thing. Come on, we'll get prayer. Come up here. Who else is going to help me pray? What's up? Oops, got to turn off. I just want to have... Um...